we've heard a lot of accents here on the AI and industry podcast. We've had a lot of folks from Israel, from Germany, from India, you name it. Not that many South Africans. In fact, this may be the first South African firm we've ever had on the program. In fact, I'm almost certain that that's the case.、Uh, but I'm glad it happened. This is all focused on AI and manufacturing this week, and the story behind it's actually pretty fun. So,、uh, some of you who followed our work here at Emerge for a while are familiar that I, I had a pretty Kind of hustle bustle middle of the year in in 2018, doing a lot of research and presenting that research for the World Bank. We did a lot of focus on diagnostic technology and healthcare AI tech in kind of the the public sector perspective. And one of the places where we presented that research to kind of IT and health leaders within countries、uh, was in South Africa. There were government leaders from from all over Africa interested in data science and decision science and applying AI to health. And when I was there. I really wanted to interview some companies, so I, I went on LinkedIn, where we have plenty of our email subscribers will actively ping me on LinkedIn if, if they've got good ideas. So I, I said, "Hey, I'm in South Africa. Are there any cool companies down here?" And I, I had a couple people throw out ideas for for companies elsewhere in Africa, but I had one VC, one venture capitalist, say, "Hey, you got to talk to these folks, Data Profit." And you got to catch up about what they're doing in terms of AI and manufacturing. So, as it turns out, they were in Cape Town. That's a 14-hour drive、uh, from Pretoria, where I was giving my my presentations to to Cape Town. So we weren't able to meet in person, but we did catch up via Skype. And Data Profits,、uh, one of their co-founders, Franz Kranz, who has a master's in in statistics from University of Cape Town. Essentially, as soon as he got his master's. He founded Data Profit, and they've been working in the manufacturing space for the last five years.、Um, I speak with Franz about a number of important topics at the intersection of AI and manufacturing, and I think other than the novelty of the geography here, there's a lot of good meat for business leaders interested in use cases. We talk about what's possible with AI in manufacturing today, where AI can bring value to the table, and just just how. Instrumented and challenging it is to sort of add the layer of, of AI insight on top of a manufacturing environment, much harder than a lot of other domains where where maybe data is a little bit more accessible much of the time. Also, higher risk when you're working with pouring molten metals and things like that. So Franz goes into some of the interesting considerations of AI insight and decision support for manufacturing, and then also speaks about where the future is headed. How in the future. There will be a gradual inching towards autonomous action. That is to say, not just informing human decision makers, but allowing machines to sort of make the right calibrated moves, take the right calibrated actions、uh, to fulfill whatever the company's goals are, so that we don't need a human always pulling the lever or pushing the button. Of course, in manufacturing, that handoff is very delicate. The dangers are big when you're working with heavy equipment. You're working with expensive equipment. You're working on important client projects. These are not things that can be messed up. But it doesn't mean that AI won't gradually be able to automate action and be able to have these systems of machines communicate and work together in a little bit of a more harmonious way with AI as the future rolls forward, which is not where we are quite yet today. Franz paints a pretty fun picture of what that looks like, provides some interesting use cases, and I think essentially anybody in heavy industry or anybody interested in using AI to inform complicated decisions. Decisions, not just what product to recommend to an online user, but much more robust business decisions. I think will be informed by the perspective that Franz brings to the table. So cool to have one of our first ever、uh, African guests here on the AI and Industry Podcast, and fun that that World Bank project that we did actually turned up another fun interview. So hopefully you enjoy this one. This is Franz with Data Profit here on AI and Industry. So 
So Franz, where I wanted to start off, which is often the first place where we jump off here on AI and industry, is kind of what's possible today. I think people are familiar with the idea that IoT data and, and different data streams might change what we do in manufacturing, but I think very few people can imagine that in their head and can really see that at work. Can you give us an example of sort of where AI can layer some value onto the manufacturing process? So a lot of our focus is very much around just the control of the machinery within the manufacturing process. If you can manage it, uh, imagine maybe an automotive manufacturer or foundry, there you've got quite a large number of just pieces of machinery, all operating relatively independently, producing quite a large amount of data. So if you were to take a gray iron and pour it into an engine block, um, normally you'd be looking at maybe a sand mold and you'd be compressing that sand into that mold shape. You'd then be pouring this molten iron into it. Um, and then shaking off the sand. And in the control of all of that process, you, you'd want to focus a lot on just kind of keeping everything within specific spaces or parameters, right? And, and that is all quite a kind of noisy process. And usually you've got your kind of uh, operator who's busy trying to control that process, but you've got actually a number of operators on the line all trying to control that process and then basing it off a stream of data. Where we find kind of AI kind of quite neatly slots into that space is actually the interpretation of that data in a very live manner reading it, providing feedback to that operator to say, actually, a little bit further up the line, something's changed, and down the line, we can accommodate that change with this change, and uh, that kind of gross coordination, all in order to kind of reduce defects or any kind of lost capacity down the line. Got it. So um, in terms of what that would look like from the perspective of these operators, you'd mentioned that there's people already looking at this data in real time. Right now, you know, you hear the terms like telemetry data. You know, I, I can imagine now, I, by the way, we've covered plenty of exciting and fun stuff in oil and gas and transportation and jet planes and all sorts of neat heavy industry spaces, but I've never worked in those domains in the same way that probably, you know, you've at least had some experience. Uh, I imagine these people looking at, you know, okay, what machines are on and how long have they been operating and do we have some heat sensors here? Do we have some vibration sensors to pick up if anything's going wrong? There's kind of a before and after in terms of what dashboards we look at before we're leveraging AI yep. and after we're leveraging AI, because from what you're describing kind of decision support for these people operating these machines is a big part of the value prop. Maybe paint the picture of what that before and after is. So very much kind of the before space is where we at or where we see a lot of sites operating now. So something goes wrong on the line, suddenly defects on code, maybe there's a gas bubble and the engine block has a hole in it, or you know, there's a weld and there's a kind of mistake in the chassis. Then someone looks at all of the data, so they pull all of that data, they do something what would be termed a root cause analysis and understand, okay, what thing caused this problem in this engine block or this vehicle chassis, right? It's very much kind of a retrospective, okay, we're going to stop the line, trying to dig out uh, the cause of this issue, and we're going to interpret this data in a very kind of human static. Let's kind of apply traditional statistics to it. Um, and of course, that kind of moves at a human computation speed, right? So it's yep. you know, a very kind of well-trained, you would hear about things like Six Sigma and kind of black belts, et cetera. Very well trained, very good at finding the cause, but it still requires that human analysis. And that's very much kind of the before picture. Whereas kind of the after picture is actually a lot of that analysis can be brought into an AI space. And AI algorithms kind of at the, the beating heart of themselves are, are really, it's kind of an advanced form of statistics or just kind of almost maybe a reimagining of statistics that works in quite an online manner. And so even ahead of, of those defects being occurred, it can begin to look at just the streams of data coming off that machinery or the set of machines and just give that feedback to the operator to say, you know, if you do this, make this change, 
decrease the you know the temperature on this ladle of iron you know 0.5 of a degree in doing so you'll reduce the number of defects that you expect to incur and do that before you start actually making those defects got it so kind of preemptive in some regard i imagine it sounds to me, and I think this is often the case in manufacturing, that these are pretty bespoke scenarios. In other words, there is a chance that if a couple different companies are using a Hyundai Sonata for a self-driving car, yeah. I might be able to use a similar algorithm to train the cameras because we're at the exactly the same height and we're moving at exactly the same speed, and that's pretty transferable. In a manufacturing environment, if I take two people making engine blocks, it's super unlikely that the same machinery is going to work. So this feels to me like there's a pretty healthy amount of bespokeness to those predictive elements that maybe thematically you can predict similar kinds of breakdowns that might be common across making engine blocks in two different factories, but that really this is going to have to be pretty tailored to the issues that come up in factory A versus B versus you know Z. Um, that feels like a real challenge. So you're absolutely right. That, that is there's a big component of our challenge, and most of the challenge actually rests with the different data streams and the different machinery. Every factory is set up differently. They've recorded data differently. But the kind of the principles of these data streams coming off the, the machines, uh, the quality inspection, kind of the methods that a lot of manufacturers will use are common, right? And so where the data and the data streams, the machines are different, and that is a challenge just kind of touching base into all of those uh, sets of data, we find that kind of the underlying principles are similar. And a lot of actually what's enabled us to do our work quite effectively is once we've got that data into shape, we can use a common or what almost class of algorithm where that algorithm learns to the specific environment. It's actually kind of common across all of the different environments it works. And this just talks to, okay, it's a, you know, a lot of the, the principles underlying AI is that we can build a general, general algorithm to solve many more problems than of your more traditional statistics that requires a very bespoke algorithm fitted to each space. Yeah. So, you know, just to get a sense, I mean, we don't have to go into your secret sauce here, but I'm imagining what is transferable and what's not. And obviously this is a space where transferability is less uh, drop dead easy as maybe, you know, one e-commerce website to the next. It's like, well, if you just line up these yes. columns of the data, you're kind of getting the same stuff done. You know, that's not the case here. Uh, so with that being said, I might imagine that machinery type X, you know, that, that handles, let's say, metal casting might have yes. particular sets of problems that I don't care what you're making, this is going to be a kind of problem that is always going to cost you huge sums of money. It's going to be super time intensive and money intensive and it's, it's super obnoxious. And if we can find the patterns that lead to that, no matter what you're building, then we might be able to start instrumenting your environment in a way that brings value to that problem we already know you have because you have that kind of equipment. Is this the kind of extrapolation that you're talking about? I, I want to make sure that myself and the audience are mentally on the same page as you. So a lot of the kind of the problem we're addressing is you incur uh, kind of defects and defects are common across your foundry industry, right? So kind of casting defects, whether it's subsurface or kind of surface defects. Similarly, kind of your world robots will incur kind of world errors, right? Now, everyone with a world robot will incur that world error. The stream of data behind it might be different, right? So the, the sets of data that we're working with and the structure and the form of that data does vary. Some processes are continuous, some processes are discrete. Um, and kind of the adaptation to those different data environments is where our kind of work becomes a bit more complex. And kind of a, a lot of, kind of our own time is spent in just building that data environment to 
uh, this is the kind of a more common form, right? Yeah, yeah. Th- that I feel like that work should not be understated in terms of how hard it is. I'm, right. I'm not here to uh, you know, la- laud you guys in some kind of an overt way, but what I'm saying is that, that that feels like a very hard task because that work, this sort of can we find the common data language, can we find the common data patterns that we can then use as transferable value in different spaces, that's super hard. As that starts to get solved in all these different industries, that's when we'll start to see AI vendor companies really flourish and AI really make a difference in the enterprise. Right? A lot of, I think the challenge is that we just don't know what kinds of patterns really deliver value and what kind of data language can be painted from, from all the information that we can collect. It sounds like you guys are neck deep in that hard origin problem of AI in the enterprise. Yes. I mean, we do sit quite deep in it. We've got, we've got a kind of a mix of things that really just help us out in, in navigating it. And that's, that's a lot of kind of solutions that we're quite proud of, but it, it is an element of... Yep one of the hard challenges that the industry faces. No doubt. Uh, and it, it, it involves, uh, I think, the people tuned in who've, who've listened for long enough. We, we tend to really emphasize that these conversations between subject matter experts and data scientists and this trial and error in the enterprise, there needs to be so much of those splashing attempts to finally shake out you know, where, where the value really lies. And I think that the people that can make progress there, that's a cool thing to do. And yep. manufacturing, again, not, not, an easy, not an easy space compared to some, some other sectors. A question I wanted to ask next, Franz, is about the future. So, you know, a fellow like yourself running a company like this, you're thinking about today, you're thinking about applying this today, but you're also thinking about what is the future of manufacturing. Let me ask you, when you think about what will be possible with AI in the manufacturing world now that you really can't do today, so it's just not something you can walk into a client and promise them, but in five years you hope you can and, and you're, you're maybe optimistic that it, it will shift that way, what are some of those future capabilities that people should know are maybe on the horizon for AI in manufacturing? So there are a couple of kind of really interesting ideas especially around kind of just sharing data through the supply chain, right? And uh, this almost kind of touches base to that early problem we were discussing with the hard problem behind data. And it, and it becomes substantially more difficult when multiple different suppliers are producing kind of different parts to a component and uh, subsequent defects only discovered at some factory further down the line, right? And so what's kind of one of the potential interesting features that we kind of look forward to is just fairly far kind of better kind of coordination across data in the manufacturing of a specific, quite complex item through the whole line. I mean, outside of that, it's really interesting just to think about even within the domain as the kind of machinery gives, it's kind of incrementally made more intelligent. And so if you kind of imagine your manufacturing space, you'll, you'll see kind of robotic arms with different heads doing different things. But right now, they just repeat the same action without kind of any feedback from the environment for the most part. Yep. Right? And kind of, there's very little knowledge sharing between robots as well, up and down the line. So where, where they can adapt, they're typically only looking to themselves to adapt, right? And incrementally, we're kind of looking forward to kind of a factory that talks kind of through the whole manufacturing line. Yeah, and, and maybe let's paint a little bit of a deeper picture on what that talking could look like. You know, let's go ahead and stick with the engine block casting in yeah. metal. You know, when you when you think about how those pieces might work together and, and what a day in the life might be like if we arrive at this talking manufacturing system, what could it look like there? So if you kind of in, in, in casting engine blocks, today might be hot, right? And and subsequently, because it's hot, the moisture in your sand mold is going to evaporate a little bit quicker. And so you want to change the kind of the chemical composition of your sand and show that maybe the moisture is a little bit more. Um, and then further to that, when you're pouring in the 
molten iron into the engine block, you want that porer to have a slightly different pore profile, for example, right? Um, and that kind of coordination from the sand plant also uh, all the way through then to the pore of the iron and then gradually over to the shakeout requires kind of the coordination of a whole mix of different pieces of machinery. Now, the way kind of we do a lot of the work right now is still very much human in the loop, which is just feedback to those operators, right? At some future state, you'd have, you know, your sand plant and then somewhere along the line, there's a temperature sensor and that temperature sensor is kind of indicating making changes in the sand plant, but also coordinating with the iron pouring machine, right? And the shakeout machine. So you're seeing instead of humans maybe looking at a dashboard and saying, okay, these trends might be indicative of this. This is getting on my radar. Let's go ahead and, and alter the process of the next thing down the line, that maybe some of that transference to what should the next machine do based on the previous machine, that this might be sort of aided, that, that maybe that communication might happen. I, I can see why humans would maybe be a little wary of that, like, oh, don't make any decisions that could really affect our money by just a machine doing it. There probably would be a bit of a gradual handoff in these very bespoke manufacturing yes. environments. You know, it's not like, you know, we'll be able to plug it in and be like, okay, those machines, you don't need to worry about them anymore. It's like, well, you know, in, in any given manufacturing environment with all these messy uh, moving parts, probably still going to have to have, you know, a, a lighter handoff. But that the goal would be eventually the teams could be confident that that handoff was made and that they can go focus on other things. Yeah. So, so, so you touch on quite a big aspect of our current experience, which is just actually even with any, you know, any kind of new idea introduced to manufacturing, which is quite a conservative industry, right? So um, yep. they've been going a long time. The downside risk is very large for these plants, which are very, very large. They want to make sure that uh, kind of everything works well. And so, a big element of our role, you know, outside of just kind of that data integration we spoke about, is also just the socialization of this idea, right? That actually we can run this feedback in real time and give it to the operator. And if that operator makes that change, then they can see that improvement in their rate of defects. Then some kind of future state, that machinery makes that change itself, right? And you've got the coordination of the machines adapting to kind of the current environment and communicating between each other. Uh, without kind of the human in the loop. Yep. And again, you know, as you had mentioned before, these are bespoke environments, these are conservative environments that yep. that would be a, you know, that would be a gradual handoff where we maybe we'd make sure when it says it's ready to make the decision, is that right for like a month and a half in a row? In which case, if we feel very confident those variables aren't going to change very much, then we kind of make the handoff. Is that kind of where we're leaning here? Yes, it's exactly that. It's kind of gradual, you know, what is the speed at which kind of the human mind changes, right? To what extent do you have to build that sense of confidence that this this is something that will just be able to provide those good results continuously? Yeah, it's, it's a different ballgame if you screw up, you know, a whole bunch of engine blocks in a row or you gunk up your machinery than it is if you recommend the wrong books or DVDs on your e-commerce <laughs> website, yeah. right? Uh, so uh, the tough challenges, it, you know, I think everybody should rightfully be jealous of the big tech firms, not just because they have the profit margins and the sex appeal to, to hire the big AI talent and have rooms full of those people, but also because they work in often relatively low risk environments where experimentation is so sure. damn possible, you know, and you guys don't really have that luxury. Sure. I yep. mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. Like the, the recommendation of a book versus the pouring of molten steel or the rolling of, of it, it's 
They different ball game. Different ball game. Different ball game. Yep. So, all right. Last yep. question for Hans uh, as we wrap up here is about adoption in AI and manufacturing. You you said it. It's a conservative industry, but it's certainly one where we've seen an increasing amount of attention for machine learning applications. A lot of interesting stuff around IoT. Covering this for years now. I'm not really sure how much more evidence there is of traction in the field, but I know there are a lot more people trying, and, and I think that that gives us reason to, to suspect some things will happen. When you take a look at applying AI in manufacturing, maybe the way that you folks are, and you ask yourself, you know, who's likely to adopt this first or adapt this first? What, what industries, what kinds of manufacturing, what kinds of companies, maybe, maybe it's size of company, maybe it's geo-region, maybe it's what they're making, maybe it's the, the particular kind of processes they already have in place or technologies. What are the things that people have in common who you believe are going to be the ones who get the early value out of this? Who are those folks that are going to catch on quick uh, for, for AI and manufacturing? Sure. I mean, uh, kind of the first point of departure is just understanding whether the line's sophisticated enough to take it, right? Some of these manufacturing sites are very old and their machinery is 30, 40, 50 years old, right? And they don't have those streams of data. But maybe kind of jumping to the kind of the front end of that, that question is what we see kind of uh, react and pick up quite quickly is the automotive space. Kind of we do a work with kind of a number of the large German automotive companies. Their lines are fairly sophisticated, kind of largely automated. They've been pushing quite a bit of capital equipment into uh, that to see that they can kind of produce vehicles at a high run rate at a very good quality, right? And so there you might find a far smaller number of people on a far more complex space with yep. quite a wide mix of relatively advanced machinery, right? Yeah. I wonder, is this, do we see this? So this actually doesn't surprise me when I think about it. You know, do, do we believe that this is the case? I would suspect two reasons. Number one, if we yep. talk about manufacturing companies that are really sophisticated and have real money, Toyota, uh, Volkswagen, I mean, these are the people that may, might come to mind. I mean, I'm sure that there's manufacturers yep. in other spaces. Another thing, though, is that they're making somewhat similar stuff. So I would bet that there's manufacturing companies that are bigger than Volkswagen, but they make like things for clients. And so like they, they have to rejigger their machinery to come out with different products. And they're the ones that take the raw materials and turn it into the stuff. But it's not such a streamlined, the same process, the same process, the same process. And that doing that probably means you're more likely to have really well-instrumented equipment and, and reduced kind of human in the loop versus machine. Are these commonalities? I'm looking at big, big profit margins and I'm looking at common outputs. Yeah, so you absolutely find these big manufacturing companies that sit kind of in the background and they'll be supplying the Volkswagens and whatnot with some small component which is has a common process to another similar component that they might supply to, say, Ford, right? Yep. And they're producing kind of quite a large volume of them, absolutely with kind of a common process. And yeah, so absolutely, they'll be looking to kind of improve their thing. And, and for instance, your wheel manufacturer, uh, there's a small number of them that produce uh, most of the wheels in the world. And it's quite well, almost, it's not so, so fragmented, that industry is quite well concentrated. And they're obviously actively looking towards just improving that process. We do find that the OEMs, so the Fords and the Volkswagens and the BMWs and Daimlers of the world do um, often lead the charge with just improvements and then see that they're kind of their suppliers adopt uh, yeah. new qualities and standards. Okay. So that they're often pushing down into the industry to say, actually, you know, We've seen this quality come out of this supplier. We want you guys to match the, that quality. Huh. So it's, it's, yeah, it's those brands that kind of, I guess, are pace setters to some degree. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, so tier one, tier two, tier three supplies into them, and and they'll be kind of uh, marching to the beat of their drums. Okay. So we we think that the the automotive space is one really good example of a space that might be able to pick this up quickly for the reasons you've articulated. Any other sectors at all that kind of leap out as like ah, this space too probably is you know more ripe than others. You know, any any other kind of hotspots that you think are more likely to adopt this. So there are a couple others where the business case makes a lot of sense, right? You're in the ore refinement, so the refinement of, say, gold or platinum or various different platinum group metals out of the ore. A couple percent move here or there matches a great deal to those companies, right? And previously, kind of, they've been very good with their capital equipment, but the analysis of the data usually, you know, again, it's it as a kind of field hasn't really been focused on by them, right? And so there's almost kind of a gap in the sense that there's more value in their data than uh, they're currently receiving. And the small changes in just the quantity of the mineral they extract from the ore can provide substantial returns. And this isn't, you know, a data project doesn't, it pales into insignificance compared to the cost of capital equipment, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In those instances, I guess what you're saying is the economic case is strong. Yeah, it's very strong. Uh, there's kind of a disparity between, say, your capital projects and your data projects. Yep. So people, yeah, people with those commonalities align. We might suspect that that firms that sort of are in those crosshairs are more likely to lean into AI than than firms that aren't. Yeah, and cool. and in part also that it's it's an interesting aspect where they're increasingly being motivated into that, and that's because um, you'll see, especially in those older industries, that they have an aging workforce isn't being replaced at the speed that it needs to. And so this kind of intelligent automation is also just kind of a driver to say, you know, it's something that we promote quite a lot is within your data, you've got a lot of human experience, right? It's operators have made the right decision at the right time. All we're looking for in this historic data is that right decision at the right time and to produce that to the next operator who's less experienced or to the machine itself. Yeah. Well, this whole age gap deal, I mean, oil and gas struggles with this, uh, rail transportation struggles with this. There's a lot of these heavy industry sectors that the millennials all got degrees in English literature and computer science, and uh, their parents didn't want them to have grease under their fingernails. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so for better or for worse, some of these places are going to die off, and, and maybe that'll be another bit of extra pressure to get some heavy industry folks to adopt this stuff because we might not have you know, a slew of 20-somethings that see this kind of job as their career. Yes. It's a lot of kind of also what we see is just the uh, existing process engineers who are there at the commissioning of the plant, just, you know, they haven't transferred their knowledge anywhere because they haven't found people to transfer to. We see kind of the number of industries just at that stage uh, right now. Well, this is uh, this is cool insight, and it kind of overlaps with some of the other heavy industry interviews that we've done in the past. Those of you who are tuned in, companies like Predicto uh, and other other folks we've had on, these are kind of interesting patterns. And I really like the detail about adoption. So, Franz, that's all we have for time. But I sincerely appreciate you sharing your insights here on AI and industry. And thanks so much for being with us. Cool. Thank you, Dan. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, 
and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get uh, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. 